Welcome back to another episode of Watch and Anakin. I'm Caleb and I'm here with... Adam. And I'm Daryl. And today's topic is going to be... Hollowtide! Ah, Am yes, I doing that? Yes, all, all Hollowtide. All Hollowtide. All Hollowtide. Yeah, all, all Hollows. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what... I mean, you know, it's it's October. We're back with season three, I guess. <sighs> yes. Season three. Season three. We made it. Uh, Which we're going to take through to Christmas, by the way. So this next block of episodes will be our season three block. That helps people, I think, you know, when they go to share it. So you could say like episode 140,000 or you could say season three, episode six or something. Maybe that helps. Sure. Huh? Okay. Why not? All right. Well, I know. Well, it's like an Apple, like an Apple podcast. They actually make it so you can break it up in seasons. Yes. Spotify. Okay. I think you need to get on that. Okay. <laughs> That'll work. But we can't hate on Spotify because we use their services. So. Thank you, Spotify. Thank you, Thanks, Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's Spooktober. So, Holotide, if I had to take a guess, I'd say it has something to do with Halloween, maybe? Yeah, something Halloween, around there. Halloween. So, All Holotide is a fall triduum, like three days. All Hollows, All Saints, and All Souls. But before we jump into... That. Okay. Those three days. I'm going to flip it for a second and ask you guys this question. Uh-oh. All right? I'm not ready. Okay. At what point would you stop celebrating Christmas? Would I stop celebrating? Yeah. Because you know the Puritans outlawed Christmas, you know, and, and oh. the, at the interregnum with the 1600s with uh, Oliver Cromwell, right? They got rid of Christmas. Can't celebrate Christmas because the Bible doesn't say you should. But that's not why I'm asking the question. I mean, why would you? I mean, that could be part of it—that hermeneutic. But at what point would you stop celebrating Christmas? Because Leviticus says you can't bring in a tree and decorate it in your house, and Santa Claus and all the modern stories is an elf, not really Saint Nicholas that we uh, revere so much at the Council of Nicaea. And then there's the over merchandising of Mammon. Right, the buying and the selling of goods. Hmm. Like even today, politically, last week they said their Christmas is in danger because of the you know the shipping crisis. And I thought, well, Christmas <laughs> really isn't in danger. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but that's my question. Like, at what point would you guys stop celebrating Christmas? Is there a t- a point when you would stop celebrating Christmas? I don't know. Like maybe in the commercial sense. Like, yeah, I get down with it. With the commercial I, sense, I mean, I don't really like. Buying presents. I'm not going to lie to you guys. <laughs> no, Caleb doesn't. We. J- that is my brother. <laughs> what well, do you there. like to receive presents? Either way, you're the, honestly, most of the stuff. I'm not very materialistic. But now I want it's you to notice awkward, that too. as we're discussing Christmas, it's already turned to the material side. Yeah. Okay. 100. Well, because I think that's part. I mean, would I? I mean, because then you have the the date novice and the meaning behind it. Which? How do we get the? How do we get December 25th for the birth of Christ? There's several. Yeah, there's like... Okay, let me give you the the historical one from the church. Okay, you ready? This goes back to the 300s. Okay. It was a common belief back then that nine months from your birth, uh, like we have the nine months, right, for for like somebody's in the womb, but the the ancient people, and I use ancient to talk about back then, not 50,000 years ago, looked at that, those dates as kind of fixed. That's how they would celebrate things. Okay. From basically conception to birth, um, but then they would all, but not even beyond that, because they still don't understand the science behind it. They did look at the reckoning; like they would reckon um, 
your your death and your birth based upon the distance between them. Okay? So when you calculate Holy Week and then you look at the Annunciation when Gabriel appears to Mary and you calculate forward based upon the years and the way you run those numbers, it's, I don't want to go too much into this. We, we do a whole, As we get closer to Christmas, I'll give more details on this. All but, right. but you end up with December 25th. That's the point I'm making. Like they didn't arbitrarily pick it and they didn't pick that date because of Saturnalius. No, no. Uh, historians think that the Roman practice of the birth of Saturn or Saturnalius is because the birth of Christ became so popular that the pagan Roman Empire tried to create a, 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 a festival to contend with Jesus's birth because the church had already been marking it. So that is not an arbitrary date in spite of what people want to say. But it takes me back to the original question. At what point will we stop celebrating the birth of Jesus? I mean, you will. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't you, think you can not celebrate. I don't know. Yeah. Like it. It. Okay. Like I would sell. Yeah. It just yeah, seems like so, so absurd. And Christmas is about. one of the seven principal feast days. As Anglicans, we have a, our calendar, right? We, we haven't talked at length about the calendar. We'll do an episode on that. But in the calendar, the church calendar, we have seven principal feast days every year. Christmas, Easter, what else? We don't need all seven, because I know you guys are on the spot, and you're like, wait a second, I didn't know we were going to talk about all this today. I came in here ready to talk about, what'd you say, Spooktober? Spooktober. Spooktober. <laughs> seven principal feast days. Christmas, Easter, there's some more. There's a couple others. Give me two more. Pentecost. 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 Oh, come on. Oh, he took it. What's the other one? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, the other one is in All Hallowtide. All Saints Day? All Saints Day. Oh, yeah. All Saints Day is another one of the seven principal feasts, meaning there are seven feast days each year that we have an obligation to commemorate. All Saints Day is one of them. What is All Hallows? Halloween, All Hallows Eve, is the evening before All Saints Day in the same way that Christmas Eve is the same day before Christmas Day. And I ask, why would you stop? At what point would you stop celebrating Christmas? Because Halloween is a Christian holiday. It started with the church. It didn't start with Samhain or Samhain, as it looks like. It didn't start with the Druids. It didn't start carrying around turnips. It didn't start with hexes and spells. That's not where it comes from. Did the ancient peoples and portions of Europe and, and Ireland and Scotland and all that, and Germany, did they have pagan festivals associated with darkness and witchcraft and sorcery and necromancy. Of course they did, because every ancient culture did, and we still do today, by the way. But the idea that Halloween is somehow a, a season for witches, and the church has abdicated that, is functionally equivalent to ejecting the celebration of Christmas. I know, our listeners are probably like, what? Chew on that. Think about that. At what point would you stop celebrating Christmas? Because you, in many cases, many Christians in America don't celebrate All Saints Day. And that goes into an issue we've talked about in our Sunday school classes here, is that um, you don't take down core doctrines without first hitting things that are considered secondary. Well, secondary doctrines aren't secondary in the sense that they're not important. They're secondary, meaning uh, for, for a variety of reasons, but I don't want trying not to digress too much here to the point. You start changing secondary doctrine, you will change the primary. It's going to happen. You don't see people attacking the divinity of Christ. You see them attacking the saints. 
You see them attacking the church. You see them attacking the inspiration of scripture. And that over time infects doctrine and dogma so that you begin saying Christ isn't fully divine or he isn't fully human, which is where we are today. He's not fully divine. He's just a good teacher. Where's that come from? It goes back 130 years ago to the failure of the church to recognize the communion of the saints. And that's what's, and how do you do that? You denigrate all saints day. You start to put all that, put all that down. And remember, we're talking about a triduum here. It's three days, all hollows, all saints and all souls. Those are two different days, two different days. So I think that's a good way to kind of crack open the idea for those that are unfamiliar with it. And I think, uh, when I was looking into this, one of my questions was, well, why, how did Halloween get a bad rep? Okay. Yeah. Like, because you know, like, we're looking at the other one, I, I don't think anybody really has any issue with All Saints or All Souls. You know, like, I think those are two things that people, in general, when I'm talking about Christian people, like, they're, you know, they're okay with. But then Halloween, you, you put it in there and they're like, nah, 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 nah. Right. I can't do that. I'm like... Hold up, this doesn't even make sense. Like, okay. And uh, I don't know how, how true this is. And a lot of the stuff also, because the people defending it are Roman Catholics. Uh, yes. A lot yeah. of the people. This is, a, this is a Western holiday. This is not East. The Eastern Church has a whole different calendar for some of these things. Yeah. So the, the phrase that I saw thrown around a lot was that it is, a, it is Protestant propaganda that oh, Halloween no. is evil. That I, I think that's true. Certain portions of the Protestant denominations, that's the case. Because they, for again, for a variety of reasons, very often because the same people who would contend against All Hallows or Halloween are also going to reject the notion of All Saints Day. Or they'll keep All Saints Day and reject All Souls Day because we're all saints. But you're not, you're missing the point. The, I call that adventures in missing the point, right? But that's, that's what's going on. <laughs> It's a failure to see All Saints Day is when the church remembers all of the saints who do not have their own particular feast day. For example, we have the feast of St. Peter and St. Paul. We have the feast of all 12 apostles. We have the feast of particular church martyrs and heroes through the year that we honor a day just for them. But there are more people who live lives of faithfulness and obedience to God who are examples for us. You know, one of my favorite saints in Christian history is Thomas Beckett, Archbishop of Canterbury, who was killed, and we'll do a whole thing on, well, not a whole thing, but a portion on him, you know, later this year. But Beckett's one of my faves. December 29th is his feast day. So what is All Saints Day? All Saints Day is like everybody else (laughs) that doesn't have a day. You remember on All Saints. All Souls Day are people that, it's not that they're not... um, Christians, they're Christian people, but maybe they didn't live lives of heroic virtue. Like we make a distinction there. There are people that we want to emulate, and then there are people whom we love, but we don't want to emulate, so to speak, right? We don't don't (laughs) like those kinds of distinctions in a contemporary world, but we do have them. So All Souls Day is when you remember your departed family members who left a, you know, great impact for you, you know, on you for the Lord, but they weren't necessarily excessive not excessive excessive in a good way you know what i mean does that make sense yeah okay all right all saints day is like president's day i get it <laughs> well i think it's- yes that that is a good parallel you you know but because president's day used to be george washington's birthday so you 
you would honor him or Lincoln, and they just put them together. You, you didn't know that? They're just taking, yeah, I know, because they're okay. taking away federal holidays. Right. I see how it is. Okay. Yeah, and I think this is one of those things that we um, instinctively see the nuance of. Like, I don't think anyone has to, you know, looking at even like deceased family members and being like, listen, they were a good, faithful, praying person, but. Saintliness uh, doesn't come to mind. No, not, not a saint, not a saint. And so, I, but I think we understand that nuance. I think it's actually harder to art- articulate than it is to understand or yeah. even to uh, to accept. Well, and this is where All Hallows or Halloween kicks in. Halloween is the fall celebration, the preparation for All Saints Day. Now, the early church, well, it's the medieval church really, is the one that moves this date, okay? The early Christians had already been commemorating martyrs and saints as far back as we have records of. Like, they had already been doing that. Typically, commemorating the, the saint on the day of his death or the martyr on the day of her death, they would go to the grave and, and you know, the relics, and that's where a lot of that comes from. The celebration was typically in the springtime, but something's going on around, you know, between the 700s and 800s that for whatever reason, and there's not a whole lot of agreement here, there's a shift so that November 1st becomes the date that is marked by the Western Church for All Saints Day. Okay? That celebration coincides with the rededication of some buildings that had been uh, cleaned out and turned into churches for Mary and some of the other saints in Rome. And so that those two things coexist together, how, how all that kind of shakes out way back, far back, a long time ago. Not early church, but early medieval church. Okay? So this is how far back it goes. Halloween becomes the preparation before that day, for that festival, which was um, a holy day. It's, it's a, a feast day, as we've said. But on Halloween is when you'd had people dressing up as saints and as martyrs. They were dressing up as people that they wanted to imitate. Okay, You also get, later on, especially in portions of Germany and France, people begin to dress up as something scary. The devil, dragons, demons... Um, they dress up as scary things because they're mocking them. Because in their their mindset, you dressed up as these dark things, and because you're you're beginning to go into All Saints Day, and here are the saints whom Christ worked in to overthrow these dark powers. Right? They're not running around doing wicked things. That's not what's going on. But they're dressing up as dark things that are you're you're saying have been destroyed. You also get. The uh, memento mori, I believe is how you say it. You remember that you're going to die. So you get this whole other tradition that begins to arise where people dress up like the dead, like skeletons and stuff, and they dance. It's like because they believe it was one of the things that they believed, and we don't know how much of it was folk tradition and how much of it was. It was never dogma or doctrine, but just common belief that the dead would get up and walk around. And so they began to dress that way and they would dance often in churches and in the churchyard to say, this is the dance of the dead. Remember that you're going to die. Now, see, that's a cultural uh, thing that we don't we don't do today. We do not acknowledge death as contemporary Americans. Think about all of the commercials for this medicine and that medicine, this cream and that cream. Stay younger, look younger, feel younger, get rid of your gray hair. It's the exact opposite. In those days, it was remember that you're going to die because the psalmist says, teach me the number of my days. So all of that's going on and none of that has anything to do with Dracula 
and werewolves and uh, black masses, none of that's happening on Halloween as, as it gets lumped together today. Because witchcraft, for all practical, practical purposes, doesn't exist in Christendom like that. That you didn't have a competing holiday until later on. Okay, and this is why I take it back to Christmas for a second. At what point do you stop celebrating Christmas? Because the culture has said, well, this is really, it's really about giving gifts. We've already seen that happen with Thanksgiving. Most places, they don't even call it Thanksgiving anymore. They say it's Black Friday. Well, that's after Thanksgiving. Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's what, not what, after. It's Thursday night. Well, Thursday now. night, yeah. yeah. But what's, oh what's the nickname that people are using? For Thanksgiving. Uh, Turkey Day? Turkey Day. Oh, yeah. So you've stripped Thanksgiving all the way out of it, and now you move straight on to going and getting your gifts. So will the church stop celebrating Thanksgiving, even though we know it's a cultural holiday, but it's still got a Christian source? And so Halloween has some of the same same echoes in it, and the church has abdicated it because, what would you say, Protestant propaganda? Pro- Protestant, Protestant propaganda. propaganda. We backed away from it to say, well, no, this is not a time to think about all saints. Um, you also had a lot of pageantry and plays that would happen at the same time. I mean, think about it. If if you went to church and on on a hollows all hollows eve, there's a play at the church, and somebody's dressed up like the Virgin Mary standing on the moon from Revelation 12, and somebody else is the dragon, and somebody else is Michael, and there's this play fight while they're enacting scripture. They did that stuff all the time in medieval Europe. I mean, lots of fairs were filled with pageantry that were reenacting biblical stories. And Halloween was one of those times when somebody dresses up like the Witch of Endor, not because they're saying be a witch as an Endor, but to say, here's this account from Scripture, and Christ has defeated these things. Bunch of cosplayers, if you ask me. That's exactly how we were. LARPing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very, very similar. LARPing, yeah. And I think you did bring out something that was really interesting is that, you know, at Maybe at first, you know, there there was some competition with some pagan ideas, and then Christendom did away with that. Um, but there's a big chunk in the middle in which it these accusations of just like of just darkness and, mm-hmm. and different witchcraft, like it really was not the case. I think we're projecting our modern understanding on that portion of history. Well, I mean, the, the part of the pagan worldview is they do commemorate the changing of the seasons because that's the natural world and a pagan and classically defined as somebody connected with the natural rhythms of life. And as we've said before, the gospel doesn't get rid of those. It heals them. That's one thing. And that's not syncretism, by the way. Um, but as it pertains to Halloween itself, the in Ireland, as it's often said, that, you know, this was when the Celts went around doing their, their deal, the Druids and whatnot, really... Those people celebrated their dark festivals, the records that we do have, in the spring, not at Halloween, as we think about it today. That's not when that, they had a whole different kind of calendar. So we can't even put those two things together, right? And what we think, or not we, what some Christians have put forward as the historical origins of Halloween, and and they go back and they cite this record and that record and saying, see, it's pagan. That's coming from a different spot in history and is not really reflective of the earlier histories and traditions that had developed. So the same hermeneutic that says the Bible doesn't tell me to celebrate Christmas, so therefore I won't, has gets picked up and spun just a little bit to say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna celebrate All Hallows. I'm not gonna celebrate Halloween. Now, we, let me let me let me talk about the Halloween celebrations for a second. I am not saying 
And the church is not saying, hey, guys, go to a black mass. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, um, fake blood and uh, gruesome, grotesque things that are sexually deviant, which is what a lot of this stuff has become in the past 40 years. Okay. Even with that distortion, think about a church having not a harvest party. Forget that. Do that in Michaelmas. Do that at the end of September, right? But at this time of the year, think about a Halloween party where people come in because they, they're dressing up as the saint they're going to honor the next day. So, for example, if I was going to go to a Halloween party that the church was putting on and I wanted to show up like Thomas Beckett, one of my favorite saints, Beckett was killed because his brain, like his head got cut by the sword and his brain spilled out onto the floor in his you know, vestments. I mean, that's a pretty gruesome picture. So if you show up looking like that, that's a shock, but that's kind of the point. Like our saints are not clean people, especially the martyrs. I mean, Isaiah's cut in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, St. Lawrence was literally cooked. I mean, he's, he's, he's cooked by the ancient Romans. I mean, gruesome things that ancient Christians had no problem adopting those images to say Christ is superior to all of it. Whereas today we have such a narrow, narrow imagination. Our holy imagination is essentially non-existent because we've, we've chalked all that stuff up to superstition and myth or something else. So we don't even engage it in the church. And I think the church has to actively, intentionally reclaim Halloween because she reclaims all hollows and all souls day. It's funny. I did see a, uh, we were talking about this on Friday of a meme we saw, you know, and the idea of like the church has authority and it is like, Keep saying it, and we'll take Toyotathon. Right? Like, nope, that's it. You just lost Shark Week. Like, yeah, oh, no. you know, I mean, that's yeah. the power. Like, which I don't think necessarily even is the case when we're in this particular situation. But we should be protecting, yeah, our 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 holy things. Right. These days that we make holy, and that we remember and we celebrate certain things, because there's nuance in what it does to different parts throughout your year. Like, I, I think it's very important. It's so like this this last year, very closely following the church calendar, um, has really, for me, brought such richness to my faith because I, I feel like it, it is very natural and organic, the things that it makes you remember and address and when. Like, right. I think they're just, they organically happen, but when you're doing it not by yourself, and you're doing it with the church, it really does change the way that you live out your faith. Yes. Yeah. I think it keeps you centered. I remember back in, uh, back in the day when I was over in Japan and I was just there for like different holidays. Cause I'm like, I can't really come back, you know, things are busy or whatever. And it would be weird. Cause I'd like go and be like, ah, oh, it's Christmas. And it kind of just means nothing to you. Cause like, you're just in that mindset. Cause there's nothing else to really base it off of. You're in a different country. Where I used to kind of celebrate Christmas yeah, back when Colonel Sanders went over there and told him every, you know, this is what the Americans do—they eat KFC for Christmas. And then you see a bunch of KFC. Just funny. ceremonies and customs, right? Yeah. So you know, but like, but then when you get back into it, and you realize like when you have the people to celebrate it with, but also like when you view these holidays with the church, it's like if you don't have the reasoning why, or if you don't have that, that it almost feels like that physical thing to be there to represent it. Like, yeah. you will have like a loss of meaning for what it is. So that's what I would say too, just jumping on what Adam was saying well, yeah, when it comes to these holidays. Celebration and customs, like you're talking about, 
are built around community. And if the community isn't there, you can maintain a celebration, but without the people to have that joy with, what do you got? Right? Oh, I agree. Yeah. And All Saints Day is when we're saying, hey, we are part of the whole universal Catholic Church. The saints in heaven are our heroes. We're part, like we, we thank God that this is the legacy that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, you know, think about this, and, and I think this is a good way to celebrate All Hallowtide. All Halloween, you've got some kind of festival, some kind of event that you're a part of. I know this year, because of the, the way the schedule follows, uh, f- falls, I should say, Sunday this year is All Hallow is Halloween. But we're, we're going to celebrate All Hallows with a party. It's just, you know, barbecue. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> it's a barbecue. <laughs> the next day, we've got workshops on spiritual warfare, because that is fitting. Christ is victorious. That's the mm-hmm. emphasis. And then on Halloween, in the evening, to mark the transition, we've got a candlelight service for All Saints Day. Just And think about that. If you... Don't look for a saint on the calendar, but just pray and start looking through a couple records of Christian heroes in history. Find out about that guy or that gal who did something great for the Lord and study on that person's life on All Saints Day. Give yourself like 15 or 20 minutes to read over that person's life to see what God did did in them and through them that we are somehow either directly or indirectly a recipient of and give thanks to God for that. On All Souls Day, if you are close to a graveyard where you've got family that are buried, why not go to the grave? Why not go? And you, obviously the person isn't there, even though the remains are, but you can go and give thanks to God for that legacy. And you build that into your, your church culture. You build that into your family culture. I mean, your kids grow up knowing about their great-grandparents. They're not distant memories anymore. And I think this is a sad thing that's happened with lots of churches. One of the reasons... Um, as we've got the property that we have, I want a graveyard and a mausoleum, is that when there's these celebrations begin, people can go out and say, this person did X, Y, and Z at this church when it was founded. This person was here these years later. This, All of that's present and around us because they're gone, but they've gone to be in that great cloud of witnesses. And we, we preserve that distinction. All Hollows is preparation for that. You know, are we preparing and seeking God to live lives as saintly people? Is the cry of our hearts to be holy? I, I, I know that's that's so foreign for people who think that Halloween is just about witches and headless horsemen. Okay, again, there there is a. I know some folks are not going to appreciate this. There is a healthy appreciation for scary things that calls you to jump. That I think is missing. And a lot of piety today, Christian piety, it's missing. There's no, there's no, I don't mean scary things in that you're intimidated to act, but I mean, there's no, there's no real sense of fear, not even of God. I'm not talking about being fearful of the devil. Like there's not even fear of God. So approaching some of these things in a healthy way, especially if you've, if you've been completely disconnected from them because you think that their origin is demonic. I think you got to recalibrate that, rethink about that, pray into that. And if you find, because maybe we do have somebody listening to this who was involved in witchcraft and and necromancy and everything, and they use Halloween as is used by contemporary pagan and witchcraft practice, which is for those evil things, and their conscience can't let them engage in a holy celebration at this point. Well, don't. 
I mean, don't do it. I'm not, this is not saying, we're not saying go out and celebrate Halloween by throwing axes at people. Like, do not do that. <laughs> don't <laughs> do those things. Hard negative. Uh, but taking All Hallows as a time to celebrate and gather with friends for parties as you are preparing to mark All Saints Day and All Souls, it, it's a huge benefit because we are turning the tide, by the way, in the, in the calendar. We're beginning to, to, we're coming to the finish line and Advent is upon us. Mm-hmm. And we're yeah. going to begin a whole different season. So it's appropriate that our Christian calendar calendar begins with the preparation for Christ's birth, and it ends marking all saints and Christ the King. I mean, that, that those are very appropriate ways to mark even our, our years, which we do when we follow the calendar. Yeah, and I think um, kind of the nuance here in all of this is that by, by celebrating, remembering those saints, we are celebrating the death in the resurrection of of Jesus. Yeah. Um, Michael Ramsey in the uh, Gospel in the Catholic Church. Or in, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. And, yeah. The, yeah, and uh, I believe if you just kind of want to pop to that, it's a chapter two and three. He really brings that idea out and he brings, uh, does it very well. And so if that's kind of like, oh, I'd like to hear more on that or like to hear the logic behind, he does a significantly better job uh, <laughs> than I ever could. Um, but he really brings that point out, and for me, that going into this season as that's a book that I've been rereading, it's really made changed my perspective on, you know, uh, walking into this these these three days and just the idea of I am by celebrating saints and uh, even family members or people who have gone before me uh, and their suffering and and how they finish their race as Christians, their life, I am celebrating. The, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Like, that's what we're celebrating. We're not just celebrating these people to, like, turn them into myths. We are celebrating these people actually as a way of saying, these. this is how these people embraced and they lived out the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Absolutely. That's right on. And that's what we're, that's what All, all Hollows kicks off. It's a great time for candy apples and, and candy popcorn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great time for bonfires as well. Don't yield it. Mm-hmm. Don't yield all hollows because of the world wanting to make it into something it's not and because of certain portions of the church refusing to acknowledge all saints and all souls. Don't yield those things any more than you would yield Christmas and Christmas Eve. I, that's just, you know. Don't get rid of Easter because of the Cadbury bunny. we're literally throwing the baby out with the bathwater here we are like uh, there's a lot and i think the the other perspective that i have is come like i said this is i'm fairly new to a church calendar and a lot of the these these ideas uh but it's not hasn't just been me it's actually i've been dragging my family along with me (laughs) um and not so much dragging uh my wife definitely willingly but i've i've noticed even with my kids um how just easy it is when we're celebrating these things to discuss biblical things and the things of the church because it's you're doing it and i have a three-year-old and um one of his favorite questions is why that's right why (laughs) (laughs) you know um why did we do that or what did we do like and it's so easy to because he's going to ask multiple times throughout the day it literally while you're doing these things it gives you multiple times to share these things with uh with your family Mm -hmm. and um you know, whatever that looks like. And it doesn't have to just be with your three-year-old or your uh, children or your that are minors. 
you know, under, under 18. Um, this can be things that you're doing even with your adult family and to invite them in on. Think about Halloween. And one of the, one of the things that people do is carve pumpkins. They put a light in it. Right. And so then you get this myth that's developed. Oh, that's because of the Druids doing that with turnips. And there weren't enough turnips in Ireland so that when they came across the Atlantic, they started using pumpkins. Because you know, there's more pumpkins here than there were in Ireland. Are turnips big enough for that? Am this, I thinking this, of the this wrong is the, thing? No, you're, this is the popular myth that's been told. <laughs> and like I've said, that wasn't happening. I wouldn't want a gut. That's not carving. That's going to be. That's like, not carving. That's whittling. Yeah. So, point being, like the point I'm making is this. The decoration of Christmas trees, of decorating trees in your house is forbidden by Leviticus, but Christians do it all the time because it's not the same practice. It's not a one-to-one ratio. We've talked about that. Uh, You can't do that with the law for one, but second, it's not a one-to-one ratio. What if when you get a a pumpkin at Halloween and you carve it with your kids and you you clean that thing out and you cut the face or the artwork, whatever it is, the face, let's just say face because that's classic, and you put that light in it. You adopt this Christian practice and you teach your children, not in a scary way, but you teach your children, Christ is the light. He's the light. And in the same way that this pumpkin is getting carved and emptied out, the day will come when you will die. Your body will die. We don't teach this to children. We don't teach it to adults in the church. You will die. Memento more. You remember that you are dust. To dust you shall return. You carve that out. You put that light in there. But then you teach, the, you teach, you instruct, Christ will raise you to life. Because tomorrow, we're going to remember all of those who have died faithfully in his service. They lived lives as saints, and we honor them. Some of them were martyrs. You see, like, and I say that because if you decorate a Christmas tree and you start putting candles on it, or not candles, uh, candy canes, well, there's the white and the red, right? How many how many places have you been where the candy cane is a, re- a symbol of Jesus's blood that makes us white as snow? Or you go back and you realize that the shape of the pretzels, that the classic shape of a pretzel was made by the monks as they were teaching children the Trinity. The same things existed with Halloween in Christian history, but it got jettisoned by a puritanical approach to reading of scripture and then supplanted by contemporary pagan witchcraft practices and ideas. And we, because we don't have a long memory in many American churches, don't see the, the connection. You, you start to attack theologically to what it is to be a saint and the, and the, the wholeness of the Catholic Church, you will, within three generations, take a, a knife straight to the doctrine of Christ. You start changing secondary doctrine, you change the primary all of the time doesn't happen within a week. It happens within a generation or two. And so what we're saying, one of the things we're advocating here is take those things back and hold to a biblical expression of what is it to die with hope that we will be raised, one, physically, but then we depart to go be with Christ. I mean, if your kid's older, you got a teenager, man, that's a great time to get a bit more specific about death and the judgment that follows. Mm-hmm. and to talk about what the Bible says about ghosts. I mean, you've got all kinds of things to talk about in there, and you get a little bit older, you can talk about spiritual warfare. Aside from, you know, Jesus beating the devil, right? He beat him, right? right? That's And we see his victory in the saints on All Saints Day. You've Lots of ways you can do this. Take the opportunity to really emphasize Christ's victory. Don't yield it to the culture. And again, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm 
beating a dead horse, Halloween, death, uh, <laughs> beating a dead horse here to be emphasizing um, people just have a hard time with this because they either made it about dressing their kids up as the Transformers and taking them trick-or-treating, right? Yeah. Uh, which trick-or-treating doesn't come from the Druids. Trick-or-treating is soul cakes. So remember, for large portions of Christian history in the West, and the majority of world Christians still believe this, they still believe in purgatory. Like we seem to forget that most of the Christians in the on the world in the world today still believe in purgatory. The largest contingent of Christians on the planet are the Roman Catholics, 1.3 billion. They still believe in purgatory. Now there's disagreements about what that looks like amongst them because they've not codified it, right? Um, and we've talked about the the Orthodox belief or popular belief in uh, toll houses. And then the the classic Anglican doctrine on the final judgment. We've talked about some of these things in the past, and we'll maybe expand upon them in some more. But I'm bringing that up to say it was a practice in England that poor kids would walk around saying, I'll pray for your dead souls in purgatory for a cake. And by a cake, we mean like pancakes. So the kids, every Halloween, you'd go around and you'd pray for the people in purgatory while the lady in the house gives you a couple pancakes because you need something to eat. Like, that is the more immediate cultural precursor to trick-or-treat than soaping screens and decapitations. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is... Yeah. yeah. I don't mean, like, real decapitation. I mean, like, the you know, the, the you go into somebody's front yard and they got all the ghosts flying around and heads falling off and things jumping out of the ground. <laughs> Gets real weird real quick. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially around here. All the ghosts that are hanging from trees right now, you know, and the glowing eyes. Yeah, I think it speaks so true, though, even in this, the season that, I guess, a Western culture is in right now. And that is you have so much anxiety and you have so much like, because of COVID. Yeah. And some of that is relational. But I think a big part of that is because people are being forced to, like, very abruptly deal with their mortality. Yes. I think that's yeah. a very big part of that. And I see different cultures who are fairly unaffected by it. And uh, one of the cultures that I've seen, not like in the idea of like the anxiety from COVID or the pandemic, there's been a lot of my military friends. And one of the things that is very strong about uh, military culture is that remembering your death is actually a very strong part of that culture because of what your job is and that you know, you're a little bit closer than your average person because you don't know what you have to do tomorrow, where you could have to fly to, whatever. And I, I think that that's a big part mm -hmm. of us being able to embrace this because you look at the cultures of past a hundred years ago. Yeah. How much more was death a reality? Yeah. I mean, like for me, it would be my great grandmother died in childbirth with twins. Yeah. I mean, you, you just, these are not things that in that she was very, that's a very common thing. And, and, and even a hundred years ago, that yeah. wasn't even a hundred years ago. Or a fever. A fever. Yeah, right. You know, like it's, it's just really, I, I think it's interesting that because we are in a bubble and even think about how fast we forget someone's death, um, because we, it's part of our subconscious rejecting it because every single part of us says, Oh, I don't want to think about it. It is healthy to think about your death. And it will empower you to live your life more knowing that you're going to die. And then even more so thinking, well, if I'm going to die, what do I need? And looking at that from a redemptive nature. 
Yeah. I, th- I think that that is very important. I think it's so counterculture. And so when we talk about these things, we're like, oh, that's a good idea. But it's like, this is imperative, I think, for your mental health and your spiritual well-being to be doing these things. It's the dance of the macabre. The dance of the macabre, that dance of the dead. When they would get up and parade around like corpses coming back to life to dance, remembering that they're going to die. We, it, thankfully, we do not have the kind of mortality rate that was so common, you know, uh, in the past from things like fevers. Thankfully. And we want to redirect our focus while we're giving thanks for longer lifespans to say, remember the saints, remember the martyrs, remember these people that have been heroes on All Saints Day, and then remember your immediate family and friends on All Souls Day. Like there are a couple people that I've pastored who've gone to be with the Lord in the last 18 years. And some of them were really, really good friends of mine. I mean, they were just... I'd love to grab them around the neck and talk for 15 minutes at a buffet again. <laughs> I mean, just lovely, lovely, wonderful people. And All Souls Day is time when, you know, over the past several years, as I've become more acclimated to some of these celebrations that in my former denomination was, wasn't something that we did, I really take time to give thanks to the Lord for them and to remember those things. That's really good. It's really good to mark All Souls and All Saints to keep them distinct and then Halloween, All Hallows, you know, um, my kids, I wasn't celebrating Halloween this way when my kids were little. I mean, they're still, they're teenagers, but when they were little and I could carve a pumpkin and talk about, I mean, I would talk about Jesus being the light of the world, but the idea of doing like a memento mori with them in a way that wasn't macabre because of the age, I didn't get to do that. Um, and again, I'm sure some people are like, I just can't do those things. Slow down and think about it. Slow down and think about it. I think about ways that you can take these scriptural principles and in the in, in 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 the context of your church, of your local congregation, and really teach the kids, the teenagers, the adults even, you know, how they're gonna remember and then give thanks to make that proper adjustment. And this fall triduum, it's a great way to do that. Well, Caleb, I got a question that came in two weeks ago. And it was from a guy who wanted to know um, about Jesus being your personal savior. Tell him, sure, why not? If you can pull <laughs> he said, up the scriptures for it, and I'll believe it. Yeah, he said he realized, because <laughs> he grew up evangelical, but he realized that that was not enough. So let me, um, let, me, let me explain something about salvation and what it is to be in Christ. And that's what it is to be saved, is to be in Christ. And the modern, and it's very modern, the idea of raising your hand and being saved because you made a confession does not and has not been the way Christians have been made in the Scripture, in the New Testament, and in Christian history up until recently. And I can already hear somebody saying, What? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Yes, Paul does say those words in Romans 10, but he also connects that with baptism in chapter 6. And he puts them together. So Luther, that that reformer who said we're saved by faith alone, said that the regenerative graces of God that made you alive in Christ were only received in the water. What? Yes. Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion about the particularity of the sacraments right now, but to say that when somebody is at a, an evangelistic conference or someone shares the gospel with them and they say, I believe, that is good. 
Like that, you have to start there, right? You've got to start with believing and making a profession of faith. But be very careful how quickly we tell people that they have been born again by the Spirit and brought to God, especially if we're operating under that paradigm instead of the scriptural one that says, this person has met Jesus. Think about all the people that came in contact with him in his ministry, all the people that heard him preach or received miracles from him, but they were not part of the body, so to speak, just yet. So it's good that we're bringing people to meet the Lord. They have the introduction to him and they find out that they really like him. Okay, well, now it's time to begin the discipleship process towards baptism. Mm -hmm. Because baptism is when that commitment to being in Christ is formalized. Think about it like somebody meets someone, they fall in love, they're deeply, profoundly, wonderfully in love, but they're not married yet. There's an actual way to go about marriage. Being in Christ is follows a comparable pattern because being in Christ isn't individual, one, nor is it ghostly, second. Nope. It is corporate. I am part of the body of Christ by being in the body. So I'm part of a group of people and I'm part of that group visibly because I've been baptized. We, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So do we want that evangelical subjective, I need to believe and personally own this faith? Yes, but that's got to be set within the context of the visible church. So I hope that answers our, our friend's question, and if he'd like us to unpack some more on that, we can do that. Yeah, 100%. Once again, chapter 2 and 3 of Michael <laughs> Ramsey's uh, Gospel of the Catholic Church. That's a great book, isn't it? It really is. It, I, a lot of the things that you... It's like it's such a good book. You can ask my well, you can't ask my wife most. You don't know. You I hate reading <laughs> things twice. I hate watching things twice. It has to be really good. For me to like, I'm going to read this twice. Are you going through it again? Yes. Yes. I'm on round two mm. and I am, I'm realizing different things and seeing different things that I did in the first time. He addresses this once again, chapter two and chapter three. And ironically enough, it ties very much so into um, what we've been talking about today on the podcast, mm. because once again, what is it remembering the saints and those people remembering our baptism and our our spot in that corporate body because it yeah. it is it, it is not individual. One of the points he brings out is you're not baptized individually, like into like this individual thing. It is into the body of Christ, and because you are baptized into the body of Christ, it brings significance to that individual relationship that you have. Yes. So it's it's a, a little bit of a nuance. It's it's a little different, but I think he he brings it out really well. Once again. Does it way better than I can explain it because <laughs> the man was e- extremely intelligent. Do you know how old Michael Ramsey was when he wrote that book? You told me, and it was very discouraging. <laughs> he was 27 years old. <laughs> 27 years old. I was, for those that don't know, I was at, when I was at seminary, I was thinking to myself, I was thinking a lot of things about gospel and the church and the early church and how these parts go together and trying to, you know, figure it out. So I was standing in the library and I said, Lord, Somebody has to have written about the gospel in the Catholic Church. So I went to go over to the card catalog. This is what we had when I got to college. It was like a big, big uh, box, wooden box with cards, index cards you would pull out and search through the index cards to find the book you're looking for. And it would tell you where to go get it in the library. So I'm going looking for the card catalog and I realize about three steps into that, wait, those don't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what century, what millennium were you in college? I know, I know. Well, anyway, I leave that 
vain pursuit and I go to the computer <laughs> and I type in, in gospel and Catholic church. And sure enough, that's the name of the man's book. And I got it at what well, one. I didn't know who Michael Ramsey was. I didn't know who that was. Got the book on library loan. I read it. And I'm like, this is incredible. This is exactly somebody's putting together these pieces I've been thinking about. And then I told one of the professors at, at, at the seminary about this, who was an Anglican priest. And he laughed and he said, oh, that's a great book. We make all of the ordinance for our diocese. Read it, and, and which is not the one we're in. And I thought, get out of here. I said, the Lord totally led me to this book, and it's been incredible. So that is a shameless plug for Ramsey's Gospel in the Catholic Church. Very good book. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's very good. Our relationship with Christ is personal. It's very, very deeply, profoundly personal. But it is not individual. Well, I think that does no, I no that that uh, yeah. That's I think that's a good answer to that question for and all the people, Caleb, that hear this on Friday. Pray for our conference this weekend. Yes, yes. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you. Well, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's going to do it. Okay. Uh, for this week, for Hollow's time. Um, yeah. Uh, if you have any more questions, you know, send them in. Um, you know, the one you, we did on exorcism is like still trending is pretty highly listened to. And I, I kind of wonder if all hollow tide isn't going to be up there as well. It might just be, I don't know. We'll see. Don't put any spooky, spooky special effects with this one. With this one. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think the the effects of just your vocals and what you did with that was very good. That was adequate. Just me whispering in the microphone. You want a quick, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We're good. But, <laughs> Well, all right. Well, that's going to do it for uh, this week here. Uh, once again, I'm Caleb, and I'm here with Adam. And I'm Daryl. And we will see you all. Well, you'll listen to us, I hope, next I hope. week. <laughs> Goodbye.